You are listening to the Wellness Insider Network, episode number two. Welcome to the Wellness Insider Network podcast, a place where you discover how to create a balanced, vibrant, and stress-free life with the right food, herbs, and self-care techniques. I'm your host, Lana Camille. I'm a college professor, drug information pharmacist, and an herbalist. Thank you for joining me on this adventure. Let's get the show started. Hi there. My first guest on this podcast is Bevan Clare. Bevan is a friend. She's also a scholar, practitioner, someone who is intelligent and wise, who has a gift for connecting, connecting modern science and art of herbalism, connecting conventional and herbal medicine. Bevan is a clinical herbalist. She's a nutritionist, consultant, and educator. She works as a professor at the Maryland University of Integrative Health and is also on faculty at the Massachusetts College of Pharmacy and New York Chiropractic College. Bevan has studied herbal medicine all around the world. She holds a master's degree in infectious disease from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. She currently serves as a president of the American Herbalist Guild, the largest body of professional clinical herbalists in the United States. She's a founder of the Herbal Clinic for All program, which provides cost-free herbal medicine healthcare since 2007. Bevan is also a board member of the United Plant Saviors, a group working to protect at-risk medicinal plants in North America. She lives with her husband and kids in Maryland, and I'm absolutely thrilled to have her as my first guest on this show. Thanks, Lana. It's so fun to, to get to chat with you in this context since we do so many other things together. I remember when I met you the first time and you told me your story of how you became interested in herbal medicine. And I was absolutely fascinated to meet someone who knew what their passion in life is so early in life. Can you mm. tell us a little bit more about that? Well, I, you know, I have a few different stories I, I probably tell, but they're all, they're just different points in my life where I had different realizations around wanting to do this. Uh, but I think, I think for a lot of people that, that are interested in herbal medicine, it is a little bit more of a calling. I mean, you know, it may, it may not mean that you have a big, a dream about it or something, but it, it is this thing you're, you're compelled and you're drawn to. Um, and, and, you know, it's not, it's certainly not the most logical career choice. You know, if you're to sit down and look at exactly, you know, all the other careers where you could have the most, you know, fruitful income and the most job opportunities or any of these things, herbalism is a little different. I mean, it's, it's built on passion and, um, and it's a really very much about taking your passion and turning it into a vocation. So, you know, for me, I grew up in the woods and I was always really interested in in herbal medicines and um, and I didn't even know that that's necessarily what they were. I mean, I, I liked plants. Um, and through my teen years, I spent time really thinking about the relationship between people and plants. So as I was a teen and I experimented with plants that affected my body in different ways, you know, instead of just thinking, oh, this is fun, part of me also thought, 
wow, you know, if, if this plant can do this, what can other plants do? I mean, what, you know, and, and realizing, oh, wow, you know, chocolate makes me feel a certain way and coffee does things to people. And so there must be all these other plants that do all these different things. And so I studied herbal medicine in kind of apprenticeship situations and a lot of self-study and, and doing all that in my teen years and being really you know, just very interested in it. But I, I don't think I realized its true potential until I spent a few years in Southeast Asia. And is this the story you're referring Absolutely. to? Absolutely. So, um, so I was, I was young. Um, I was, I think, 19 or 20. And I was in, I'd gone to Southeast Asia to travel. I've always loved to travel and I continue to travel. Um, and I wasn't traveling. I mean, I always like to learn about herbal medicines when I travel, but I, I, this was a little bit different of an experience. And so I, you know, I was young, I had time, not money. And so I was going to all these remote places and, and it was very early on in, in the, the years I spent there, um, maybe even in the first month or six weeks. And I was in remote Myanmar, formerly Burma and, and an area that really wasn't, hadn't been opened to the West for very long. Um, and, you know, everyone there, when they'd see a Caucasian person walking down the street, they'd assume that they were either a missionary or a doctor, uh, because that's usually who they would see. And in this particular situation, I remember walking through this village and a woman bringing me her, her unconscious child and asking me if I was a doctor. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and lots of eyes. I mean, there was always a lot of eyes on you, but lots of eyes at that moment. And I, you know, my immediate response was just, you know, I'm so sorry. No, I'm not a doctor. And, and you know, I didn't really know what else to say. So I, I just kind of kept going and walked away. And and I remember just feeling terrible, you know, and, and she just stood there. And there was all, you know, everyone was waiting for me to do something. Um, and so, you know, in those few minutes, I just, I started thinking about what I knew about herbal medicine and what possibilities there might be. And, and, and I was young. Um, so I also had the, you know, kind of precociousness that you get in those years. And, you know, and so I, I turned around and I went back to her and I, you know, said that I would try to help her. So, you know, we used herbs, it, you know, the child had a very infected abscess and a high fever and, and I, it was the first of a number of times where I used herbal medicines in a critical care situation where the, where the people should undoubtedly have gone to a hospital. I mean, that's what any right. responsible practitioner would do, but there's no hospital. So, um, so it was really what is the best thing that we can possibly do. And I, but I got to see what her, herbs are actually capable of. And, and that really changed everything for me um, to having a, you know, kind of a passing interest to really wanting to engage with the practice of medicine, especially in infectious disease. And so that brought you to uh, studying uh, infectious disease much deeper and much to much greater extent, I'm assuming. Yeah, and always with the context of herbal medicine and just really understanding herbal medicine as something that really can fit a lot of different models of healthcare that, you know, right now it's it's this you know, alternative sometimes or it's seen as this adjunct um, and really it's just one of many 
things that can be chosen to be really valid in care, sometimes as the primary medicine, sometimes very much as a supportive to a more conventional care situation. And so really wanting to explore that, kind of opening eyes around that. Okay. Can you talk a little bit more about uh, how did you come to teach herbal medicine? Like what was the journey here? What made you decide to become an educator? Well, both of my parents are educators. One, one was a high school art teacher and one was an elementary school teacher. So so teaching was kind of a natural thing. Um, the, the answer to exactly how that happened is really kind of funny that when I was, I think about 16, maybe 17, I took a class with a woman uh, at the cooperative extension for our local university, which was the University of New Hampshire. And she had a class on like, it was, I think it was like making herbal medicines. And it was three weeks and it was one week you'd make teas and talk about a couple herbs. One week you would make tinctures and one week you would make salves. And so I just, I went and I took that class, but I'd also already taken Rosemary's classes and a whole bunch of other online things. But I think it was my first in-person class. Uh, although Maybe I had already taken Rosemary's. I can't remember exactly. It was can a while you, ago. Sorry, but, can um, you tell us who Rosemary is? Right, so Rosemary Gladstar. Uh, thank you for that reminder. Rosemary Gladstar is one of our grandmothers of herbalism as it is right now in this country in kind of practice in this Western, um, not necessarily biomedical, but traditional kind of Western European type herbalism. And she... You know, a lot of us look up to her. I mean, I know yes. she's somebody that you've also studied with, and we uh, we have all studied with Rosemary. And she has a, a folk approach to herbalism, and it's one of the things she stands very clearly in that, that it's a folk approach to herbalism. But it tends to be the same thing that those of us who are both folk and evidence science-based would end up using the same things. So, you know, so, so for me, I had already done a little bit of studies but um, I took this class, and at the end of it, I, was, I think I was the most enthusiastic, ridiculous <laughs> participant. I mean, I, I really, when I look back, I was 16, I was young, I was super excited and passionate. Um, I probably couldn't keep my mouth shut. And at the end, the woman who was running it said, you know, I, I'm not going to do this again, but it's always a popular class. Would you like to teach it? Oh, And wow. so I did. Okay. Um, right. I know. I just kind of jumped right in. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> that is fabulous. And so eventually this brought you to the Maryland University of Integrative Health. Eventually it did. Yeah, teaching in all different places and just really enjoying that. And and now when I'm working with graduate students and healthcare providers and and it's really it's different because it's much more of a it's I always like to say it's much more, much less sage on the stage and much more guide on the side. So it's much more about working with adults and professionals who have a high level of knowledge and skill and just helping, working alongside while we're both learning. I don't have all the answers and um, I don't pretend to. So it's really fun. So it sounds like this is your favorite part of, of uh, actually educating the adults. I think educating, yeah, and I and I think but bringing herbal medicine to people's lives is in in a meaningful way. So not necessarily having people, you know, take a pill or um, even necessarily a tincture, as much as realizing that that living more closely with plants is healthier and more sustainable, and just it's just better quality of life to to have that. And so that you know that's a very broad term, living more 
and living closer with plants. But I mean it in all those ways, whether it's gardening or whether it's vegetables or whether it's spices or um, herbal cocktails or whatever it is, you know, you have more plants in your life. Okay, that sounds great. So um, I know that you have two kids. And so mm -hmm. when you're talking about educating adults versus educating children, where would you start with both of these groups? And how would you... So you're also talking about variety of these things that you could be doing to integrate herbs in your life. So our audience is college students and young professionals. So mm -hmm. if you could start somewhere, if you could give a couple of suggestions, where, where would you begin? Right. Well, I I think that the most important thing is just to to have a sense of play. Um, there's not, you know, it's it's a lot more like cooking than it is at medicine. Um, a lot more like cooking than it is medicine. So of course, there's parts of it that are very medicinal, but for the most part, anything you're going to come across in the beginning is all going to be playful, and and. And so, you know, there's not a lot of rules. There's not a lot of restrictions. And I would say to, you know, to find a few different herbs that you're attracted to for one reason or another. It could be that you have a, an interest in some specific as aspect of health. Um, like, you, let's say you really want to support healthy sleep or something. That there, that's an area that you always need help or digestive health. And you find a few different herbs is to really get to know them, you know, taste them, um, try taking them for a week or something, find all the articles or books, you know, look it up in all different places so you can get a real sense of it and explore making it in all if different ways. If you'd like to make medicines, you know, try tincturing or, or making a tea or, you know, boiling a lot, or you can even try making syrups or powders or all sorts of things. So, so I think having a, a sense of kind of playfulness, um, it's a lot like finding a new food. Like if I give you a new vegetable and You know, you can just look at it and you can read a lot about it. But still, until you actually jump in there and try to chop it up and cook it. And, and you know, you often need to do something with a lot of these. Like they are, it's just like a vegetable that you wouldn't really want to just eat the, the thing, um, whatever that would be. You need sure, to sure. actually do something with it. So. so so you're talking about, okay, reading a little bit about it. If if you were just to begin, what would be some of your favorite places and resources to check out for someone who is relatively new to this? Well, I would buy one of Rosemary's books. Uh, she has a slightly newer book that's called Rosemary Gladstar's Medicinal Herbs, A Beginner's Guide. And that is, it's just very affordable. And it goes through the most commonly used herbs. I think it's you know, about $10 or so. So I would probably start with something like that. I think, you know, in herbal medicine, just like it is in every field, um, you, you know, knowing the quality of your sources is really important. So you can certainly find things online, but... Um, But I would be careful what you find. You know, it's. Can you tell us I, more about this? Why quality of sources is an important, important discussion? Of course, we're in, we're in the era right now of of quality of information, aren't we? I mean, this yeah. is, um, you know, this is the time where what's fake and what's not, and and so I think that there's really like there's there's in herbal medicine there's two places that are easier for quality of sources. One is like the very traditional literature. So things like Rosemary's books or a lot of the historic books where you're looking at like herbalist opinions about things and it's not, you know, making 
necessarily sciencey claims or, or health claims. It's it's much more folkloric. So I think those books are great. Uh, and and you just in those, those situations, you just want to make sure they're written by an herbalist. So there are some that are written by like a publishing company or a writer, but actually looking at one that's by an herbalist. So. There's things like Rosemary Gladstar's book or um, Maria Noel Groves' new book, The Body and Balance, is mm-hmm. another nice one. Um, there's, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think if there's any other really, uh, Rosemary has Herbal Healing for Women, which is another nice one. So, so there's these books that are in the traditional literature category. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side is the primary literature, it, you know, if these are students that are often in healthcare. You'd be familiar with things like PubMed and so on. So there's there's literature that's published in medical journals. It's peer reviewed. So you know those two areas are often going to be a better you know, guarantee of quality. Um, not always, but often. But then when you get into all the things in the middle, all the blogs, all of the you know kind of pop culture books, all the magazine articles, all these things, it gets really tricky to sort out what you're looking at. And I find that there can be bad information, but even more, they can just be very incomplete information. Like a lot of the more um, almost like semi-medical resources give you a picture about these herbs that's completely non-contextualized. Like you don't get a sense. It doesn't come alive when you look at it. And uh, and you need to have something that, that brings it alive. So, you know, the like extrapolating the evidence base alone, I always say it's like, Pretending that if somebody sent me your 23andMe data and your blood work, I would know so many things about you, but I mm-hmm. still would have no idea who you were. Right. And so really the traditional literature and your personal experience brings that plants alive versus the other pieces are kind of like knowing that type, the numbers and some of the data, which is valid uh, and useful. But still, I wouldn't really be able to say I knew you until I, we had actually had a conversation. Um, and I, you know, I, I think that that term conversation is really important because I think that's what people in plants do. Um, yes. you know, they, they converse and you could say the same thing actually about pharmaceuticals, that pharmaceuticals and people converse because they all speak this biochemical language. Uh, and I think the big difference is that pharmaceuticals have a, um, a very simple language. I mean, they really have, you know, a few compounds and, and so they 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 have that kind of message versus plants and people have this incredibly complex language because we've been doing this forever and there's just so many working parts and a plant can have you know 3 400 different constituents and they're all talking to the body and the body's talking back and and so you know that that I think that that's really fascinating kind of so like orange track. and vitamin C or something like this so comparing the the two this is what exactly. you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I think oranges, I think you know, apples, another example I often use because you know, you know, when you think about it, there's the, even even if you're not a nutritionist, you can think of five or 10 things in an apple that you know are beneficial that are very different than, um, than each one of those things isolated. And those are just the things you know of. And there's all of these things that we don't know of. You mentioned that... Um, it's a good idea to find books herb, uh, written by uh, trained uh, herbalists. 
Mm-hmm. How do I know if I have no, if, if I don't really know any herbalist, if I haven't met any herbalist, like uh-huh. how do I go and meet one or how do I find them or how do I figure out that this is actually someone who is a credible herbalist? Well, I think that would be really hard to, to know in a way. Um, I mean, you know, there are, there's, there are organizations like the American Herbalist Guild, which I'm president of, and that has a, uh, the, a membership that there are some peer reviewed herbalists, but that's just very few in all the different herbalists. And I would say you're just looking for what is, is that person a specialist in what they're writing about? So even if they never went to school a day in their life, um, but they learned from their grandmothers and grandfathers about traditional, let's say Greek herbal medicine, or then, and they're writing about Greek herbal medicine, they sound very qualified um, to me. So I think that that it has to do with that. I would actually look at the bio on the back of the book and see um, what this person, who this person is. And and I think it's, sometimes there's people that are like health and science writers who um, have done a lot of that, but they're not really herbalists. So so I would do that. I think, uh, I'm trying to think of where else you can get it, you know, there, there are publications like Herbalgram, which I'm not sure if um, the MCPHS library subscribes to, but they also have book lists and book reviews and and so on. And then, you know, there are herbalists everywhere. So uh, there's great ways to connect with them. If you're interested, if you think you're really interested in this, it's wonderful to go to a gathering of herbalists, like an herbal conference, like the New England Women's Herbal Conference or the um, International Herb Symposium where there's all different ones all over the country, the Medicines from the Earth or American Herbalist Guild or any of these. And I'll be sure to uh, list a couple of different links to these in my show notes. So thank you for that. So um, another question that I have for you is uh, you talked earlier about traveling, that uh, mm-hmm. you traveled a lot as a, uh, as a youngster, and then mm-hmm. uh, you continue to have this love for travel. Uh-huh. So I have to attest to the fact that you are one of the best most professional travelers I've ever seen, <laughs> who is probably not doing it for a living, but you know exactly the right places to go to and all the right equipment and all the right things to bring with you. What, like either herbs or foods or in general, how do you keep well? What are some of your strategies and tips for staying grounded, for staying healthy when you're traveling, when you're exploring new places? What, mm. what do you like to do? Hmm. So, um, you know, I, there, there's probably a lot of different answers I could give because I'm all of these little kids. And so that's, that ends up taking a lot of energy and I don't always stay well when I travel either. I mean, there are times when, you know, it's just unavoidable to get some kind of respiratory infection or so on, but I'm a huge fan of garlic with traveling. I think garlic is just amazing. I mean, it's this tasty, um, easy to consume substance that you know you you basically exude it out of your respiratory tissue so it's not really your it's not your breath that tastes like garlic it's actually your lungs are exuding garlic and your mucosa is exuding garlic and that's really the contact place for a lot of of infectious organisms so garlic just you you can't overestimate how effective it is and also if you stink like garlic people don't get as close so that's <laughs> very true. Know, very helpful um yeah. So you know, that's a really a simple one, but I, I do think it has to do with also attitude and staying calm and a lot of the things that 
Now, I'm not going to say all the things that people say, like hydration and not drinking a lot of alcohol, because you hear a lot. But but I do think trying to have a good attitude about it, turning things into an adventure, um, finding that playfulness in situations, it's it, it just generally when things go wrong when you're traveling, getting upset um, doesn't really help at all. I mean, you, you don't get anywhere faster. And 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 also it's just part of traveling but you know inconvenient and negative things happen when you travel so it's a question of how you roll with them and um and so i think that you know herbal medicines can play a role there that that can be definitely a thing that you can use herbs to kind of uh try to you know lighten your your mindset a little bit to cheer yourself up if you're feeling like you are um stressing out too much so so i you know herbal medicines will definitely fit in there i think just having a love of traveling like just get you know having the big picture knowing that you're you're remembering the context so and that can always be hard you know when it's the middle of the night and your two kids are wide awake and you're completely exhausted and you're halfway across the world it can be hard but then you remember oh right well i'm you know i'm somewhere so exciting mm-hmm. and I, I, when I look back on this, I'm not going to remember that part. Yeah, very uh, true. I remember thinking uh, of one of your trips when your oldest uh, son was eight months old and mm-hmm. you were in uh, East Asia. And uh-huh. I was just trying to imagine how all of this was happening. So I'm always <laughs> taking my hat off for you. So um, I think it, uh, so traveling is one aspect of when we can get stressed. But um, Mm -hmm. I know that recently you have uh, published an article on your uh, own blog um, that was talking about feeling overwhelmed and uh, finding different ways to protect and nourish yourself. Can you talk a little bit more about just in general, um, general atmosphere when you're feeling uh, overwhelmed? Right. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people are feeling really overwhelmed right now. Um, there's a lot of big things happening in the world at this moment, and so and that are affecting a lot of people in many different ways. And and, and people are very polarized right now as well. So I think that there's just a lot a lot of stressful stuff happening out there. And for some people, it's re- it's really serious. So so I think there's lots of ways to to feel better. And I'll go back to what I said about living closer to plants, which might sound, it almost sounds trite when you say that, like, the, you know, these horrible things happening in the world today. And, uh, you know, California is burning and Puerto Rico is destroyed. And, you know, all of these people are homeless and all of these things. And you're like, oh, yes, plants, right. You know, I should, I should get myself some daisies. It's, but if you go outside in the woods, you generally feel better. I mean, people, when you're outside in nature, people feel better. They feel calmer. There's a lot of research around what's actually happening in your body when you are immersed in nature, particularly in a forest. Um, and, but the ocean can also be that way. But, uh, but, I, but forest has a particular sensation and you're around a lot of peaceful beings, plants. And, um, and so, you know, I think it's about connections in many ways, and it can be connections with plants. It can be connections with people. It can be connections through plants. So I, you know, feeling overwhelmed, I also think all of these adaptogens that we have. So the idea of those. Yeah. So when, when I think of what the term adaptogen, there is a technical definition for it that you can look up. 
But the way I like to explain it is uh, by introducing another term that you might not know, which is allostatic load. And your allostatic load is all the is kind of the cost of being alive today. Like what is what what did you what are you paying for today? And so that might be, um, you know, not enough sleep or some stress or not enough movement or um, food that you ate, like your French fries for breakfast or Halloween candy or something, or all these things that you know aren't necessarily great for your body um, build up to be kind of this load. So it could be traffic, it could be exams, it could be any of these things. And so you have this kind of burden. And that burden is just part of your your life. I mean, it's part of day-to-day life. It, it's, it always has been and it always will be that allostatic load. But what adaptogens do is to help minimize the impact that your allostatic load has on your physiology and on your body. And so I think that's pretty remarkable. So for example, if you're, if you're, when you tend to get really stressed, you um, breathe more shallow and your stomach clenches and, you know, you don't digest as well. Um, adaptogens might help with that. Or you find you don't sleep as well as, at night. You might find that adaptogens can help promote better sleep. So there's a lot of different things that, um, that adaptogens can do. Um, and, and so when you say adaptogens, this is a category of plants. It's a category of herbs, right? So there's herbs like, um, um, ginseng, which is American ginseng, or, or the, the Panax ginsengs. There's uh, licorice or schizandra, um, ashwagandha. Those are some of the most common ones. And you can kind of look at what's, you know, what's out there on in the literature, find out which one feels like a really good fit for you, learn more about your adaptogens. Okay. So uh, I want to bring you back one step. Uh, you were talking about being closer to plants and closer to nature. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. happens to people, to the urban dwellers? How do we protect those people? Well, I, I mean, how do you find you're, you're an urban dweller? So where yes. do you find you connect with plants? So parks, uh, mm-hmm. growing things, uh, gardening, uh, growing things on the windowsill, um, you know, little things like that, mm-hmm. but really mm-hmm. walking a lot. And so um, kind of studying what, what's growing around me and realizing how many medicinal plants actually surround us absolutely mm-hmm. everywhere. Hmm. Yeah, they love, I mean, medicinal plants love to grow out of weedy sidewalks and behind mini malls and things like that. And, and you can just find medicines everywhere. And so it could be a sidewalk tree. Um, it could be, you know, the weedy patch next to your coffee shop. It could be a park. So, I, you know, there are plants in a lot of places. Of course, there are parts of the there are parts of cities often where there aren't nice green parks, but there's often weeds then. And so they may not be what you're thinking in your mind of the most picturesque plants, but actually their tenacity is pretty astounding. I mean, they're just growing in this like disgusting, filthy, poisoned soil. And there they are, and they're flowering and, you know, making seeds and ultimately trying to break that pavement apart and living there. And so, you know, you can appreciate, I think that there's a certain appreciation for, for situations and plants that grow in those, those types of environments. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they're also making us happy. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. My, my next question for you is any words of wisdom and advice other than what we have discussed earlier that you have for this audience? Um, Let's see. I, you know, I, I would say 
other than getting out there and just playing is also to think about how you might have used herbal medicines or your family might have in the past if that was part of your upbringing it wasn't for it wasn't everyone's but it was for a lot of people and so you might think back and remember that your grandmother used to give you this or make you that or um or see certain plants that appear in your um, religious practices or in your traditions, um, and and maybe learn a little bit about them and find out how you can how you can bring them into your life. I mean, a, a fun example right now is pumpkin. Eating pumpkins right now is really great for you, and they're Why very is that? you know, just they're well, they're seasonal foods, so they have a lot of the nutrients you would need right now. But they have a lot of fiber. They have a lot of beta carotene. Um, they're sweet and nutritious. And so I'll roast whole pumpkins and. Um, the small ones are better than the big ones for sure. And so I'll roast whole pumpkins and then take the puree and make pancakes out of them, um, add it to pancakes that make like pumpkin cranberry muffins, things like that. I mean, lots of pumpkin products out there, but they often use like a flavoring versus mm -hmm. actual pumpkin. And so, you know, I think that there's things like that that are all the time that you can learn about that you might see that are seasonal and you've, you know, cranberries is another one. You might think, wow, is that, you know, I, I, I have heard that's an herbal medicine. Maybe I should learn about that. And your tradition, whatever that is, might be, have different plants as part of it. So I would look, kind of look at your family and your family history. And that's also a fun one to, way to explore it. Absolutely. And I'm always wondering how you slice your squashes so perfectly when you're roasting them. I always look at your beautiful pictures and it <laughs> always goes through my mind. So one day you'll teach me. Absolutely. Okay. Um, okay. So if uh, the audience or our listeners uh, would want to connect with you and learn more from you, how would they be able to do that? The best way is to, to go to bevanclair.com and, uh, and then also Herbal Medicine with Bevan on Facebook. Okay. So you can find me in those places on Instagram also under my, my name, Bevan Clare. Okay. So there's, there's all, those, all those places. I will definitely include them in show notes. Thank Thanks, you so Lana. much. Thank you, Thank Bevan. You. Thank you for joining us today. For the resources mentioned in this episode, please head over to www wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash two. One thing you could do to help with the show is to leave an honest review so more people could learn about this podcast. Thanks again for being here. I appreciate you. Be smart, be healthy, be you. Mm -hmm.